Hello, hello, and welcome to the Casa Delaware Live podcast. I'm Lauren Bruckner, your Casa Training Director and the host for today's podcast. This is episode number 101, being released on Monday, January 22nd of 2024. I am so excited for this podcast because I get to learn about a program that I embarrassingly have not heard of before. Um, I did not realize it's been around for so long, and I should have known, and I didn't. Um, but I always love learning about new programs within our community that oh, that work uh, in sort of a similar arena that we work with our youth in foster care. So um, I'm excited to chat with... Cassandra McKay from Connecting Generations. This is a statewide program active in all three counties um, and really focuses on mentorship of school-aged children. So this is a very cool program to learn about. And as Casa's listening, I want you to think about if your youth might benefit from this type of program. Um, So without further ado, let's get to my chit-chat with Cassandra. Welcome to the podcast, Cassandra. Hi, thank you so much, Lauren. It's great to be here. I'm so excited. Uh, It's so excited to meet you and learn about your organization. Um, So can you tell our listeners, who are mostly court-appointed special advocates, our CASA volunteers, can you tell them a little bit about you, kind of early childhood, education, early career, and then what you do today? Ooh, okay. So let's see if I can make this as brief as possible. (laughs) I was born in New Jersey. I'm raised in Alabama. Uh, and then came back to New Jersey, um, kind of trying to explore next steps in career. And I ended up um, going to Caldwell University, where um, from there I actually worked my way through college. So I started my first professional uh, full-time job working for the college to put myself through school. And so I started as a technology specialist, where I actually fixed computers and taught uh, technology classes. Good um, for you. <laughs> So that kind of got me into, you know, the professional workspace. Um, After graduating with my degree, of course, I wanted to explore um, my newfound education and and where that would lead me. And so I started to work in broadcast. I did television and I did radio uh, for some time, Um, but kind of working together to also do some things in the social sociology space. Uh, so working with children. Um, and so I did, uh, I was a behavioral assistant for some time. I ran a, a program for children that had experienced abuse. Um, I also did some public relations and um, some things in behavioral health and, and education. So kind of a very varied uh, work history. Um, but I think the undercurrent of all of it was really wanting to find ways that I could give back, ways that I could serve others, ways that I could make a change um, in the lives of other people. And so I feel like the culmination of all of my experience led me to the space that I'm in today uh, with working with uh, Connecting Generations. Uh, my time in education 
um, allowed me to really see some spaces where our youth really needed support and really needed help um, that kind of transcended the just the education space, but really looking at um, helping them with their home life and their social skills and, you know, different things that really impacted their ability to be successful in school. And so it was a great opportunity to come across Connecting Generations um, because it, it made me feel like I could finally kind of take all of these things and lessons that I've learned in all of these different varied spaces and kind of put it into one space. That's awesome. And it sounds like quite a bit of your early career, you know, education and career experience kind of led up to, you know, where you are. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know where I was going with it all, but <laughs> sometimes we just follow. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so we're really today's podcast is to really focus on learning about connecting generations program. So uh, first of all, how long have you been there? Like what's what's the history of this program? Actually, let's back up there. Sure, absolutely. So Connecting Generations has actually been around for over 30 years, started in 1990. Um, and it actually started with a wonderful man, uh, Robert Casey, who was a retired DuPont executive. And he uh, decided that he wanted to give back to his grandchildren. And so he began to spend more time with them. And he saw the impacts of this extra time that he was spending with his grandkids. And so he invited other grandparents to do the same. And so we started out as Creative Grandparenting, which was this great uh, organization that brought grandparents together and taught them how to give back to their grandchildren and, you know, gave them the opportunity to network and different things. But what Mr. Casey ended up finding out was he could also do that same work with people that were not his grandchildren, that were not his relatives, um, and that just the purposeful interaction between a, an adult role model with a child had tremendous impacts. Um, and that it was meaningful for not just the the mentor, um, but also for the child, the mentee. And so creative mentoring was birthed from that. Um, and so that was kind of our foundation before we began to expand into some other areas as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that as well. Yeah, wow, 30 years. Okay, gotcha. And so how long have you been with the program? I have been with the program, ooh, it will soon be four years, so uh, over three years at this point, um, actually starting right around the pandemic. So um, it was a trial by fire situation, as of course, we know everybody had to pivot and figure out what was next. Um, so yeah, it has been definitely an, an awesome, uh, rewarding experience to not only navigate through that, but also to continue to grow and expand and the need for our services has definitely began to uh, trend upward because of everything around the pandemic. Wow, wow, super interesting. Okay, so Connecting Generations program, What? so it started out as like a grandparent network. What has kind of um, happened since and like kind of when has the change kind of happened? Um, well, I guess I'll start with what kind of programs, you said that the program kind of expanded. So what? how did it expand? Yes, so I was trying to take a breath because I can get long-winded in, in, in my excitement to talk about all that we do. <laughs> so um, I mentioned creative mentoring uh, kind of spurring from the creative grandparenting space. So now creative mentoring actually spans across the state and all three counties. Uh, we have over 1,400 mentors that we match with children across the state for one-to-one -one, um, time for about an hour once a week. And so it's really built on organic relationship building. Um, and just really spending time and role, being a role model for um, the youth. And so it looks different based on what the child needs. And it's really student-led and student-centered. Um, in 2007, we introduced social-emotional learning programs under our creative education division. 
It started with fourth and fifth graders and now has expanded to work with children in kindergarten up to eighth grade. And we use six different curriculums uh, where we train facilitators to go out into the schools and they uh, do an hour long workshop for 10 week, about 10 weeks. Now, with the children, really focusing on the five core competencies of SEL, so self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. And so, um, again, we have the uh, first program that we started in 2007. We had these two programs. But then in 2020, we created a brand-new program called Power of Water, which really was focused on meeting the children where they were in response to the pandemic and political unrest and social injustice. And so how do you navigate change? How do you deal with trauma? Some breathing exercises, um, different strategies that they um, can use, some mindfulness activities and those types of things were integrated into our curriculum. We also have a, a arts-based curriculum that uses art as a modality of expression. We have a peer mentoring program uh, that pairs kinder first and second graders with fourth and fifth graders. And so we teach the fourth and fifth graders the concepts, and then they teach the kinder first and second graders those concepts through modeling and mentoring them. Uh, and then finally, our creative uh, collaborations division that started in 2022. Um, and I'm super excited about that because that uh, the vision is really focused on partnering with other organizations to make to meet the needs of youth and specialized populations. And so through that, we are doing mentoring with youth in foster care and young adults in foster care. And we're also doing what we call SIP shops, which is a, a sibling workshop designed for the siblings of children with support needs. And so we, a lot of times on a Saturday, we'll do a two to four hour workshop uh, that is really geared to allowing them to have a safe space because a lot of times the siblings of children with support needs are overlooked and their, their needs are overlooked and they don't have a, a space and resources where they can network with other children experiencing the same thing and really start to, again, develop some of these social emotional learning skills to help them navigate their home life and just their, their lives in general. Oh my gosh, that is wonderful. And I have so many questions. Um, just thinking about all these different amazing programs that you have within your organization. Um, so thinking about going back to the fourth and fifth graders kind of being mentors for the, the you know, kindergarten first, the younger folks, how do you work? How do you, how do you get in touch with them? How do you kind of um, partner with schools? I think my question is. Yeah, so everything we do for the most part is through partnerships. So okay. we at this point have um, over 106 schools uh, and community organizations that partner with us to do the work. Um, and so uh, depending on the program and the path that they choose, like our mentoring program, we have someone identified in each of the schools that help us to run the programs in the schools. Uh, the creative education and social emotional learning pro um, programs, we typically will work with uh, guidance counselors or school principals to be able to bring our facilitators into those classrooms. So with the peer mentoring program, we actually develop a school team. And with that team, we provide them with all the training and then we train the fourth and fifth graders. And then we continue to provide them with technical assistance throughout the year because the um, character client program, as it's called, is the only year long program outside of our mentoring program. Um, our other creative education programs are about 10 weeks at a time. Um, so we wanna make sure that there's a strong team on site to be able to support the, the youth as they go through the process. Gotcha. And so then do you sort of do like a train the trainers where like your folks will go train the people within the school to, to carry it out? For that particular program, yes. We, we train them to be able to carry it out. And like I said, we, we go and we support them and, you know, we show up from time to time to help participate in activities and those things um, as needed. And we do refresher trainings every year uh, to make sure that they are um, ready to handle the program throughout the year. Gotcha. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> um, 
And so the, this, I'm trying to think the the last program you mentioned about the the men, the mentorship. I think was the last one you said. I can't remember the name of it. I apologize. Uh, is it the creative collaborations? The yes. 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 Yeah. So how do you how do you formulate those partnerships? Like how does that happen? A lot of times it's you know word of mouth. You know we're at different events and things like that, and we find organizations with kind of a like mindset, a like vision, um, and we're still we're trying to support the same group of children. Um, for example, I actually our very first sip shops was done with the Down Syndrome Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met uh, Lauren on a Zoom call, and I saw what she was doing with uh, the the group of children um, with Down Syndrome, and I said, you know, I wonder if we can partner so that I can provide some services for the siblings of the children that you serve. And she was thrilled. And so we were able to partner and do our very first sip shop uh, with her. And so a lot of times the uh, relationships are organic. We're Mm -hmm. either referred to someone or we meet someone and we say, hey, I just see an opportunity for us to to work together and to partner. And um, so I'm just so grateful that organizations are, um, again, we're we're sharing the same vision. You know, we all want to do what's best for the children and the families that we serve. Yeah. Speaking of families, um, do you have a lot of buy-in and kind of support from from the family members? So I will say that our creative collaborations division is allowing us to touch families a little more than um, some of our other programs have have been. Uh, Those programs are, again, very uh, child focused. And so we haven't really done a lot with the parents, although that is our goal, Mm -hmm. that across our uh, divisions will start to really interact more with the families and the parents of the children that we serve. We get a lot of great uh, feedback and anecdotal stories um, from parents for the other uh, divisions as well. But with this particular, um, the creative collaborations is a little bit more hands-on. We're able to meet the parents and, and talk with them and, and get feedback in a different way. Um, and so, and of course, they have to bring their kids to the workshop. So you can identify mm-hmm. uh, that buy-in um, from the beginning with those programs. Yeah. If parents are bringing, especially like the SIB, uh, the SIB shops, um, the workshops, are they, are, do they have an active role at all or not, not really? No, they're, okay. they're really just, we really kind of see SIP shops as an opportunity for respite. Yeah, gotcha. And so a lot of times partnering with other organizations, we can say, hey, like your organization will do something with the children with the support need. Our organization will do something with the siblings. Parents can finally have maybe a four-hour span on a Saturday, which is like <laughs> phenomenal for them, I'm sure. Gold, yeah. <laughs> yes. That is really they neat. go off and go shopping or do whatever they need to do and have that moment of respite. Yeah, very cool. Um, how do you kind of recruit, I'll say, um, thinking about the original program of mentors to, to youth in schools, how do you um, recruit or, or, or advertise to gather adult mentors um, for youth? Yes, so adult mentors are always in demand for us, and so we do a number of things. We go to as many community events as possible. Um, We attend a lot of um, family nights and open houses and those things at a lot of the schools. We go to churches. We send letters to businesses. We go to businesses. Um, a lot of times we will have uh, businesses that'll say like, I would love for my employers to start to give back and to volunteer. That is an amazing scenario. Um, and so we'll go out and we'll train a group of people like a JP Morgan Chase or Bank of America, and we'll just train a group of their staff members and then be able to um, kind of deploy those mentors. We also partner with um, some high schools and, and some private schools. Um, where we have uh, high school students that will be trained and they'll go out and they'll do a uh, mentoring uh, for us as well. So it, it comes from a lot of different places, uh, depending on the phone calls. We've gone to um, community uh, spaces and like community development uh, 
areas and we've talked to the residents and and mentor uh did some mentor training there so it, they come from all over and you know from again high school retired you know it doesn't matter if they have a heart and a passion to give back to the youth um they're willing to go through our protocols for screening and training then we're grateful to have them wow very cool sorry i'm totally off topic about the questions i was gonna ask you <laughs> uh, I, I love it um so um, so the, the CASA volunteers that, that we have are all advocating for youth involved in foster care. You know, they're, part, they're, they're under the custody of Division of Family Services for one reason or another. In your line and your, with your organization, do you come across working with youth who might be also involved with, with family services? Absolutely. We absolutely do. And as of last year, we really tried to find out just what that looks like mm -hmm. across um, our mentor programs, um, and we took a really vested interest in wanting to make sure that youth and foster have an opportunity to receive a mentor, just really knowing and understanding um, the impact uh, that a mentor could have on a youth that's experiencing um, being in the foster uh, care, being in foster care. And so because of that, we started the initiative under creative collaborations um, with an, an intent to reach youth that maybe are not at a school that we're currently partnered with. Um, so typically, in order for a child to get a mentor, we'd have to be a partner at their school, and there's a mentor coordinator that helps to facilitate the match and, and the process. Um, what we have been doing more recently is saying, hey, let's get in contact with like foster care liaisons across the state and say, even if your school cannot do a program, because there are certain barriers, mainly around capacity and time, that some schools can't really do a full program, but is there a way we could work with the foster care liaison and still get a mentor to that child? Um, so that is a fairly new initiative, and so we're still kind of working out the kinks around it um, and talking talking to some other organizations that, that deal with youth and foster just to kind of make sure that we're following protocol and, and those types of things, but really wanting to make sure that we reach um, those youth. Wonderful. Um, silly question, but um, does do youth only receive mentorship at, at schools? Through us, yes. Okay. Um, it's just, again, a safeguard yeah. that uh, the, there's some supervision there. And so only through during the school day, during school hours, unless there's an after-school program that we're partnered with, and then they can do it after school as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Plus, you know, by doing that, you have a location and the, the, the youth is already there and just some logistics Absolutely. are... A little simpler. Absolutely. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> and we're also working, again, with this initiative, we began to work with the Office of the Child Advocate um, to also reach some young adults that are aging out of foster care, mm. um, but still want and desire uh, a mentor. And we sent out our very first kind of, let's just see where our, our current mentor uh, base stands on uh, helping us with this initiative. And the response that we received back was amazing um, for mentors that are saying, yes, please sign me up. We would love to mentor a young adult um, in, in, that is aging out of foster care to help them just, again, navigate going to college or choosing careers or, you know, whatever the case may be. So we're super excited, again, with the buy-in for people wanting to do this work. That's wonderful. A lot of times our CASAs, so our CASA volunteers are court appointed. So their role, we talk a lot about how they advocate. Uh, there's a, you know, advocation, advocating circle and the mentoring circle. And sometimes they overlap, but not always. So there are certain things that CASA volunteers can't do because they are an, a legal advocate, not necessarily a, a mentor. But that roles, those roles kind of blur, especially as a youth gets older. Um, if, if a CASA identified that their youth might really benefit from a, you know, a once a week mentor or something through, for, through your program, would they be able to make a referral or 
what would that process look like? Absolutely. So at this point, again, because we're trying to to find ways to get to the youth of foster, even though there may not be a program at the school, we would ask that they contact us and let us know um, this just the child's name and the school that they're located. And then we will do the legwork to find out, okay, is this school a partner with us? If it is, great. It'll be a really easy transition. If not, we'll find the uh, foster liaison and work through what we need to do to make sure that child could receive a mentor. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, do you mind in our podcast, I'll put the, your con- the contact information. Is it okay if they contact you? Or is there a better path? I'll actually give you, so we have a special projects coordinator that's working on this collaboration with me. So I will give you her information. She will be more than happy to help facilitate that. Awesome. That's helpful. That's just that way we can get, uh, if any of CASA thinks that, hey, you know, their youth might really benefit from this, want to be able to put them in touch with the right person. Absolutely. And please feel free to share my information as well. I'm always trying to find ways that I can help. So I'm more than happy to be contacted. I I love it. Well, it sounds like your program has grown like leaps and bounds, you know, since it started. Um, And you said you were active in all three counties? We are. Yes, absolutely. We would like to do more in Sussex. So Uh we're trying to do some more there. um, But we are definitely in all three counties. Gotcha. Did you start? Is it based in in Newcastle County? Yes, we are based in Newcastle. We're right in the community services building. Uh, we call ourselves Small But Mighty. There's about six of us full-time on staff, but um, yes. <laughs> Small But Mighty, that's perfect, that's perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess, uh, Cassandra, my, kind of my last question really, is there any other, is there any bit of information you think that, that we left out that you think CASA volunteers would benefit from knowing about Connecting Generations? No, I, I think, again, I just kind of double down on we're always looking for ways that we can help, ways that we can partner. Um, again, we all share the same focus and the same you know desire to help our youth. So whatever we can do to do that, we definitely are on board for that. Um, so always you know, looking for emails and phone calls for people that might want to partner with us. Um, also, we're always looking for mentors. So if someone wants to officially become a mentor, then please, by all means, go to our website, fill out an application, and we'll get you through the process. It takes about four to six weeks with background checks and screenings and, um, of course, training, and we, we'll get you matched up with the child as well. Yeah. Um, uh, what's training look like, anyway? What, what do they have to go through for training? So training is two hours. Um, we do it in person and virtual, so you get an opportunity to choose what works best for you. Typically, we do about four trainings um, a month. And so we put out the schedule. Once someone applies, we'll send out a, a schedule to, for them to choose if they want to do it during the day or if they want to do it in the evening. We're also trying to um, do some weekend dates as well. That might be helpful for some people that have a hard time getting it done during the week. Yeah, that's wonderful. Wow, that you, that, you offer a lot of trainings. That's great. Yes. And then, of course, like I said, we do the one-offs. So if there's a church or organization that has a group of people, you know, 25 people or more, we'll come out and, and we'll do that group at, you know, at one time as well to make it easier for everyone. Yeah, that's wonderful. Is there continuing education required or anything like that? No, so we do have a mentor library, a resource library online that we are consistently building. Um, and that the purpose of that is for that continuing education piece because, as we know, things change. Again, in 2020, we had to put out some more videos just around, you know, dealing with um, uh, diversity and inclusion and dealing with some trauma training and things like that. Uh, We are currently working on some videos around LGBTQIA plus um, to make sure, again, that our mentors remain informed and know how to, to work with our youth and meet them where they are. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, this program is wonderful. And yes, Cassandra, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, no, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. 
Well, thank you so much for listening to my podcast interview with Cassandra McKay of Connecting Generations. Um, Always cool to learn about a new program in our area that can benefit um, some of the youth that we work with. So if you are a CASA volunteer, please go ahead and complete your in-service training credit form for a half hour of training credit and send it back to me at lauren.bruckner at delaware.gov. Thanks for listening. And as the years go by, a friendship will never die. You're going to see it's our destiny. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. You got a friend.